2: Hello, hi and welcome, I'm Emma Gunnar wardner and you're listening to The Emma Gunn Show. Each week I ask my guests to show me the world through their eyes, learning from their experiences, insights and expertise. If you'd like to watch and listen to this episode ad-free, simply go to www.patreon.com forward slash The Emma Show now. In this episode, I'm joined by Summer Sara, the founder of Everyone's Invited, a charity providing anonymous space for survivors to share their stories and deliver special education designed to empower school communities to promote healthy relationships, sexual well-being and tackle rape culture. She's written a book, also called Everyone's Invited, which features a collection of essays that grapple with the modern sexual landscape and the root causes of a culture that enables sexual harassment, abuse and violence. I'm really excited for you to hear this episode of the podcast with Soma Sara. Now, I heard about Everyone's Invited and the work Soma was doing, and I have to be completely honest, I had to take a beat because my first response was to question the legitimacy of the landscape summer presents, and I feel really rubbish saying that, I have to be honest. But that's because I was looking at the situation that she talks about through the lens of someone who is twice her age, who is perhaps, unfortunately, a little desensitised to sexual harassment because, and I hate saying this again, it's just something that I, and I know a lot of women my age would say the same because I've canvassed opinion among my friends, have just come to accept as a really unpleasant part of life. There are always creepy guys, those colleagues you don't work late in the office with, the person who makes you feel uncomfortable, and many other descriptions of situations where women don't feel entirely comfortable. And I think for a lot of people my age, we just kind of thought, that's just how it is. However, I had to remove that bias and look at the situation as it is for the people half my age who have grown up with, among other things, unfettered access to porn which is distorting their perception of what's acceptable and what's expected. That's just one part of it, but it's the part I found most shocking and made me realise that if young boys and young girls are seeing hardcore porn, even violent depictions of sex online, then of course it's going to affect that understanding of what's okay and what's acceptable. And so this is where Summer's work comes in, where her community, which is vast, have started to really shed light on the reality of what it's like to grow up in this new world where things aren't getting better. They are unfortunately getting worse. Now, I'm not a parent, but uh, I've chatted to friends of mine who are parents of young boys and girls, and they feel really quite concerned about this situation and are really glad that it's something that's being talked about. So whether you are a parent, whether you are not... I think this will also offer a perspective that perhaps one hadn't necessarily appreciated. So during our conversation, we cover a lot of ground, so, so much, in fact, but so let's get straight to it. Here she is. It's Samasara, the founder of Everyone's Invited on The Emma Gunn Show. A very, very warm welcome to The Emma Gunn Show. It's Samasara. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm really well and really, uh, really excited to speak to you, actually. And I'm excited to speak to all of my guests. Otherwise, I wouldn't invite them on the show. But um, I have to be really honest and say that I heard about you. In fact, it was my dad who read about you in the paper and said, you need to get this person on your podcast. And then when I started to unpick what it was that uh, you do and what you've created with Everyone's Invited, I had my own complicated journey to actually kind of uh, not get on board but to understand the perspective so for the benefit of the listeners because that was a little bit of a tease would you explain what everyone's invited is and how it came to be
1: yes so everyone's invited began um in june 2020 and it was at the very end of my university journey and i was finishing up my final exams and i just been having lots of conversations with friends at the time and we just began to realize how many of us had experienced sexual violence and assault and abuse and harassment and how those experiences, they weren't necessarily rare or one-off, they were actually happening all the time and very normalized and common. And um, I think when we were younger we didn't really share those experiences and there was a lot of stigma and a lot of shame and there wasn't any kind of sharing or reporting with adults or parents or teachers and I think there was this attitude that we just had to get on with it and kind of stiff up a lip and like this is just what it's like to be a young girl and you know you've just got to get on. So um, it was only kind of you know, after getting older and looking back and thinking, wow, like a lot of what happened was like really not okay. And um, there were just so many moments that felt wrong, weird and uncomfortable that, you know, upon reflection were very disturbing. And I think was symptomatic of a much wider kind of environment that allowed such behavior to exist and thrive without any repercussions. So an environment where slut shaming was rife, where victims were not believed when they came forward, um, where there was a lot of sexual bullying and harassment and coercion and um, kind of general misogynistic culture um, that objectified and dehumanised girls and women, um, which basically made them vulnerable to violence because they were not seen as human beings in that sense. and a lot of this abuse was happening, um, whether in the classroom, in corridors, um, at house parties, but also um, online, on social media. And I think that is um, kind of an area that we'll probably talk a little bit more about, um, especially since you mentioned how um, maybe you kind of struggle to understand the culture. And I think you, you had mentioned earlier that because the landscape has changed so much. But yeah, so it was... Um, just kind of a, a response to, to those experiences, I wanted to share some of my stories and I did on my on my Instagram and then I was inundated and overwhelmed with messages from my peers who said, you know, I, I recognize and I resonate with everything you're saying about this culture. Your experiences are my experiences, and I have so many stories to share too. So I, I began sharing those stories and it just um, created this avalanche of sharing and people speaking out and um, from that I just got a sense that you know this is so much bigger and this is everywhere this is widespread so it moved me to create Everyone's Invited which was going to be a platform for people to share their stories anonymously and very simple idea so I created that on a website and an Instagram and then um Over the next few months I was just building it up and then in March 2021 things really kind of exploded on social media and also in the press and um, in the media where um, it became a huge national conversation and discussion about rape culture, misogyny and abusive um, sexist behavior and cultures in schools and in universities because um, we were encouraging our community to name institutions that Mm -hmm. um, were kind of associated with any of these stories. And we were collecting tens of thousands of stories and going viral on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter, on all these different social media platforms, hundreds of thousands of people um, kind of accessing the website and our pages and um, thousands, tens of thousands of people sharing. And um, I did hundreds of media interviews and um, it was a very kind of extraordinary time. And it just kind of exploded over the next two months. Um, and yeah,
2: it has been. And even uh, I I think I read somewhere that that media attention really took its toll on you because you created this incredible community. It was very supportive. And then you had to go out and be the be the face of it. I guess. And it's not an easy thing to be recognized for, is it?
1: Yeah, I mean, not at all. I think um, I really struggled in the aftermath and I really had to um, prioritise my mental health and kind of healing in order to be able to do the work and continue to do the work as I do now. Um, it was kind of just really kind of overwhelming in so many senses. I think losing that anonymity, being so exposed and feeling so vulnerable and being in the kind of public court arena of attention um is very scary and intimidating for anyone but when you're speaking out about something that is so like triggering and difficult and very highly kind of um emotive it's very you know people are very emotional about this area whether it's positive or negative um, it was really a lot mm. um, there was a lot of backlash as well Um, And yeah, I guess being known for something that is so difficult and triggering, I think was very hard on me on like a psychological, personal level in terms of dealing with my own traumas. And also, um, I don't know, I guess navigating the world with this new kind of role and Mm. and sort of symbolism that my being now seemed to represent. And I really found that very difficult. Um, and I think I had to a lot of, I do do a lot of work with, in terms of like setting boundaries and finding kind of, I don't know, the joy and light and hope and fun and life again, because it it just became very, very intense. Mm. Um, and yeah, like, like I would, myself, my personal self was kind of very much kind of intertwined with this public face of, of being a spokesperson and it was just like too much
0: Mm. so I had to
1: really like take some time to like recover and like look after myself and um yeah just come to terms with it all.
2: So what describe to me the backlash because I think that's really interesting and the reason I think it's interesting is because I suspect that the media outlets that you were speaking to the majority of people who perhaps interviewed you might have been in a similar position to me in that they're 10, 15, 20, and 20 years older than her listeners, we've already established this. And so they cannot help, I would imagine, and this is what I did and we'll unpick this a little bit, is look at what you're talking about through their lens and through their reality, which actually isn't an accurate way to look at this situation because things have moved on and have changed so, so much since we were your age
1: yeah so um i guess in that in in the experience of speaking to media and 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 journalists your age i think it was a lot of like they were trying to understand and trying to learn and like understand um the perspective of young people and i think Um, The way that they did so was just reading the testimonies, reading those stories, asking their children, asking their nieces, talking to young people, having those discussions. And I think those were like so essential in order to kind of bridge that understanding and that knowledge gap, because um, and I speak about this a lot in my book. I I forgot to mention that I've also written a book called Everyone's Invited in the wake of the explosion of the movement, um, which is a collection of essays that really kind of digs into all of these Um, topics, but one of the books, one of the chapters is called Backlash. And um, I guess one of the other main kind of messages and and impetus of the book is trying to bridge those generational gaps and help an older generation have the understanding and the knowledge um, to really kind of get their head around what's going on to understand what's actually happening in in young people's lives, but then also give them the tools to um, help support Young people who are currently navigating in that culture. So, um, yeah. So, helping them, um, yeah, get to grips with it and understand how it's just changed hugely. It's very much informed by um, the mainstreaming of hardcore pornography and the impact of that on young people and the fact that porn is so accessible. Anyone can watch it anytime, any place. All young people have seen porn and it is profoundly influencing the way that um, a younger generation is having sex and interacting with with one one another, Um, and also um, the world of social media and digital platforms and how we are living our lives online in many senses. The offline and the online, they're intrinsically linked. Um, We're kind of finding information, consuming our news, developing friendships, relationships, you know, flirting, chirping, romantic, that's all. And, and also having sex that, you know, it's all happening online. So um, for young people, digital sex is real sex for them. It's just, it's just like a very profoundly different environment. Um, and I think, yeah, a lot of my work has been trying to um, think about ways I can communicate with an older generation mm-hmm. to get them to try and understand um, the kind of current landscape and currently yeah what it's actually like to, to grow up in this age as a young person um so yeah a lot of thinking about language and the way we frame things I
2: definitely had had a sort of coming to terms with experience actually reading the book and listening to you in other interviews and reading other interviews that you've done because I said I, because as I said I was kind of stuck in this yes, we've all been groped. Yes, we've all had these situations happen. And um, I can think of many, many friends, particularly in the media, like a very well-known exposed sex offender put his hand down my friend's trousers at an event and put his hand inside her pants. And it was just, that's just something that happened. And no one said anything, but it, but I think the thing is, is it was almost as if you're sort of navigating the world knowing that there's going to be the occasional predator. And so yeah. I was thinking about it like that, sort of like, oh, we all know that there were people that we used to work with. who had funny ideas about how to touch a woman or thought it was appropriate to always just touch the small of your back when they walk past you. And I did see a meme actually the other day saying, I've never seen a bloke do that to another bloke, which is such a good point. <laughs> <laughs> but they were all of, yeah yeah they were all of these yeah. things and I think um so I was sort of thinking about it like that of oh you just kind of have to you have to build those muscles and navigate it some guys are dicks and then as I really started to listen to you and read the stuff that you've written I realized I have to put all of that out of my mind almost and imagine this new reality that exists where this hypersexualized male men are uh, because of things like pornography it's happening way earlier when you talk about what goes on in schools people taking pictures upskirting these things when I was a kid there'd probably be one bad apple in a mixed school where you'd be like oh they're a bit funny around girls but this seems like it's prolific now and it's across the board because of the influence that the online world has on people
1: yeah I mean yeah, the culture was definitely endemic, and I think, you know, it was not a case of bad apples, or bad uns or kind of that one guy who's a bit creepy, it's like, know this is so much deeper than that it's like a broken system um, that enables these people to behave in the way that they do and it's not just those individuals who are perpetrating those behaviors it's also everyone else around them that enables them and who don't challenge it and who kind of protect their friends and allow it to exist and allow it to go on Um, And it's a huge problem. And I think that's a big part of what the message of Everyone's Invited is trying to get people to understand how we are all complicit and a part of this culture because we've been raised in this misogynistic and sexist and patriarchal world. which is now being heavily influenced by things like porn and social media and making it, you know, exacerbating things even more. Um, So inevitably, we will all have this internalized sexism, internalized misogyny, um, and these kind of toxic traits and instincts. And it's understanding how all of us on individual and collective levels can make a change and are responsible for this culture and need to, you know, you know, take a stand against it instead of just kind of, um being passive and allowing things to happen and shoving things under the carpet and not wanting any part in it because your kind of you know passive passive choice to not do anything is actually enabling um directly enabling things to exist and continue and to abuse abusive culture and abusive behavior to prevail and I guess it is interesting what you were saying earlier about like oh you know it's just a few bad things happening and how you felt and we knew this and um, you know we we just kind of had to learn we just had to get on with it and just be a bit tougher and I think that that kind of discourse in itself is kind of like a reflection of um maybe some of those like really entrenched and internalized messages that you felt that you that were fed to you and that you held um uh, actually maybe we should be questioning you know why is this even allowed to happen in the first place? Why do we as the women have to kind of toughen up and just get on with it and like, um, you know, accept it when it shouldn't be acceptable?
2: It shouldn't be at all. And when I, when I, like I said, I started to really reflect and I thought, God, this is actually really uncomfortable. What I'm realizing here is that um, I've enabled, I've enabled people to potentially do it to other people and th- and I distinctly remember when I worked on a magazine, there was an agent for a um a sports person who wanted he kept he kept ringing me up and wanted to take me out for dinner and so I would speak to my editor and say, "Can you come with because I don't want to be alone with this person and it was relentless it was absolutely relentless and then I had to go to a photo shoot with his clients, and it was the sports person and the sports person's uh, fiance. And when I arrived at the hotel, it was a very, very nice hotel. There was a jeweler there opening up all of these amazing things of like diamond bracelets and earrings. And this guy was putting these bracelets on me. And I was like, oh my God, this is there's this weird, unspoken sort of exchange happening where he's putting jewelry on me and I don't want and it's like,
1: Yeah. And you it, feel like you owe him.
2: Yeah, there's sort of, and so, and it's just incredibly uncomfortable. And I have to say, I was saved unintentionally by the woman in the room who was the fiance of the sports person, because this guy was like, oh, so-and-so, I won't say her name. Isn't Emma beautiful? Isn't she just gorgeous? Isn't she just the most dazzling woman you've ever seen? And this girl goes, "Mm, not really. (laughs) And it was the thing that gave me license to stand up from my chair and walk to the other side of the room. And it was just, and it still makes me chuckle to this day. But for me, I thought about that when I was reading your book, because I thought I didn't know how to get myself out of that situation. I actually allowed something really socially um, awkward to free me up because I didn't know how to say, you need to stop. This is making me really uncomfortable, which is all it would have taken.
1: And I think it really comes down. It's so deep. It's so much deeper than like just the kind of, oh, we need to have the confidence to just say, to to say stop say no it's like we have been socialized as women to you know accept to to put others comfortability before our own to kind of endure pain endure discomfort um to be passive to not stand up for ourselves and these are messages that we've been receiving since like so early Mm -hmm. um it's like part of the feminine femininity that the kind of a social script that that tells us that we can only you know, that we're not allowed to like speak out and, um, and say no. And I think, yeah, it's hugely problematic. Um, And yeah, it's so incredible. You know, I I was just thinking when you were telling me that story is that every time I speak to a podcast person or a journalist or anyone in in, um, who I've kind of met doing this work everyone has a story mm. everyone has a story that they just like th- like it just comes out they have to tell it while, mm-hmm. when i have like when i'm being interviewed and it's so interesting that it truly is like universal and like this problem is everywhere and has touched everyone in some way mm. um so yeah thank you so much for sharing that
2: oh well i mean i i look back on it and i just chuckle because it was a girl going no not really <laughs> It still makes me laugh to this day. Um, yeah. Beauty is in the, be- the eye of the beholder. I have no ill will. But it's that interesting thing, isn't it? its that like This thing can happen to you. You can feel it. And that's the thing. It's an intangible, isn't it? This person made me feel uncomfortable. Nothing had actually, no transgression had occurred in that example that I just shared, as lightweight as it probably is in comparison to a lot of the testimonies that you've received. But it was intangible. I felt uncomfortable. I felt that there was an implication of, I I felt that there was this. And there's something very strange that happens where you try to solidify a feeling into this person is doing this. And it's that transition that's really difficult, isn't it? Because you can feel it. But the minute you try and turn it into a real thing, like this person's making me feel uncomfortable then it becomes an accusation and it becomes more solid the it's you become the aggressor the person saying it saying how they felt becomes the aggressor
1: that's so interesting um yeah and I think like we've all been in that position like it's so hard to like um put it into words like put that feeling into words and as soon as you do as women we're kind of like dismissed and um yeah accused ourselves Um, and like it's so difficult and I think a lot of the kind of passive responses like why women haven't called it out or have just endured it is also genuinely like a survival instinct because like when they you know do actually like I remember growing up so many of my friends felt this that like it was actually easier when they were kind of felt really pressured to do something sexual it was easier for them to to go on and just do it rather than like putting up a fight because um that kind of to them felt, like, more dangerous than just, like, getting on, just doing, like, falling into the pressure of Mm -hmm. that situation. Um, So I think we have to be, like, really conscious as well that, like, yeah, in a lot of these cases, it does feel like that is a kind of survival sort of reaction of, like, I just, like, need to kind of get myself out of the situation in, like, the safest way possible and maybe... Maybe what I have to do is kind of play along for a bit and mm-hmm. kind of exit, you know, and and yeah, it's it's really um disturbing to think about,
2: yeah, actually, that's making me think about a friend of mine who I remember she told me once that she was like catnip for guys. They just she was one of those people you'd go out and just she would just have a line of people who just wanted to be near her. And I remember her saying once that sometimes she does just sleep with people just to get rid of them and i was so shocked by it because it's sort of not yeah. my programming doesn't make her wrong or me right by the way but it was so shocking because i'd never had that experience of thinking that would be the easiest option i'd never n- never come across that but i'm guessing when you got all of these testimonies you must have had lots of different perspectives lots of different uh pe- people's experiences who had completely um maybe contrary uh sensibilities to you and how how was that for you sort of digesting it all because it must have been very eye-opening to the female experience through many many eyes
1: yeah I think it was like really kind of groundbreaking for a lot of people and like I guess one of the things that people always say or often say is that when they read the testimonies they realize so many things that they hadn't really processed or sat with like, or they'd realized they'd been assaulted too. Mm -hmm. Um, Or they'd read things and said, oh my goodness, like that story is my story. Like I haven't submitted a testimony, but that is word for word exactly what I went through. And like someone's articulated it in the way that I couldn't.
0: Mm. And
1: now like everything has fallen into place. Um, So I think it just goes to show like how common this behavior is and how how many of us have endured it um and yeah I think it was in so many ways like so eye-opening for me it was like affirming in terms of all the stuff that was being spoken about happening in my generation it was just affirming of what I already knew and what I went through but there was a lot of um um, like older women speaking about things that had happened to them and like and looking back and you know there was one testimony about like someone speaking about the experiences of her grandmother and then her mother and then her own and you see like these three generations of like abusive um and you know violent behavior and um it's just like wow like this has always been there um and there was there were just a huge, it was just a huge range, diverse collection of stories. And, you know, there were even there were stories from 70 year old men talking about the abuse and predatory behavior they experienced as a 10 year old at boarding school. You know, there was just like so much that was kind of unearthed and exposed um, that I didn't know that much. You know, male sexual abuse is hugely prevalent and it's even more, not you know, even less spoken about. Um, And yeah, there was just like, I guess the other stuff that was also really eye-opening for me was um, the kind of the the testimonies that spoke about the kind of institutional and response to a lot of this behavior and a lot of the kind of suffering Mm -hmm. young people went through um, when they went um, to a staff member or they went through those processes and actually they were even more traumatized Mm -hmm. and like, repeatedly re-traumatized by going through those traditional processes to the to the school then to the police and then to the criminal justice system those processes were actually 10 times more re-traumatizing than the actual experience itself which was very disturbing um you know and the systems are just not fit for purpose when you have a criminal justice system that you know, where the reality is 1.4% of all cases, rape cases, lead to a charge or a summons, then that that is truly shocking. That means that rape has effectively been decriminalized in this country if only you have a 1.4% chance of your rapist being convicted. That is shocking. Um, And then that's only the rapes that are reported. And we know that rapes that are actually reported are like the tiniest number of percentage compared to the rape, you know, the amount of that actually occur. Um, So, yeah, I guess like that was a huge one. The kind of the stories that show the kind of failures, institutional failures of the people in place um, that were meant to be there to protect young people or or victims or survivors and how um, those systems are just not fit for purpose. That was really devastating to like truly understand and read about so
2: okay what can be done then because is it, i mean is it just a problem for men for boys is it just that we need to focus all the attention there what what is going to create that shift because obviously it isn't just as simple as because I looked at it and I thought, right, okay, top line information. There's loads of online porn boys. Can, it's free to access. Young boys can huddle around a phone during their break and they can see some pretty graphic stuff. And that is of course going to have a huge influence and really warp their perspective of several things, uh, sex being one of them and also how they treat women being another. So is it that we, uh, make porn uh you put it behind paywalls again it used to be or is it that parenting needs to change like do we need to how do you begin to even fix the problem
1: yeah i guess it's it's like the million dollar question Is definitely not one a one-size-fits-all answer it's like Everyone, everywhere, like kind of every level of society. We need to be looking at porn. We need to be, um, you know, looking at all these different systems that we have in place. There needs to be change in the criminal justice system, change in policing, change in schools. Parents need to become, um, you know, awakened to the reality. Like we all need to be, um, yeah, educating young people much earlier on. Um, and I guess also seeing it as an individual and collective responsibility, Um, the things that enable this behavior to persist and thrive begin with the attitudes and the beliefs and the behavior that we allow. They they begin with like the normalization of misogyny and sexism and the way that we talk and speak about women in the media, the language we use, um, the kind of music and culture and art that we listen to where you know, it's very hypersexualized and objectif- objectified and image-centered, um, and yeah. And then we have serious problems within um, all of these, yeah, schools and um, you know even in policy and government. We have fifty-six MPs currently been um, investigated for sexual misconduct, and an MP watching porn in Parliament. You know, it's it's starting from the top. He was looking and, for
2: a tractor, Summer. He was looking for tractors. <laughs> it, you
1: know, it truly is at every level. Mm-hmm. And it's about rooting out that behavior and an ideology that um, dehumanizes and objectifies women and, and, and anyone and makes any- and there, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like going on a bit of a tangent, but um, that influence is coming from so many different places. Um, but, yeah, it's really about having that really kind of holistic societal response at every level.
2: So there are likely parents listening to this, uh, men and women, mums and dads, and I am what we can do is perhaps offer them some insight from your perspective of what they could be doing. And I'm going to ask that question, but I'm also going to slot in here. The fact that I know that actually you have had some real backlash from mothers of boys who are, who I guess have, think that you are, well, how, how would you describe it? That that what they think, but they basically think that you're attacking their children and saying that there's something wrong with them. And so they're actually have been, attacking you
1: yeah I think it definitely comes from a place of fear and wanting to blame and um yeah it it truly is like that sense of fear of like not knowing what to do in that kind of situation and you know not wanting to confront um the reality of like sexual violence and how prevalent it is and how widespread it is and I think the word rape the thought of rape You know, it has the connotations are brutal, they're cruel. People don't want to kind of come to terms with it. They don't like to confront it. I think they'd rather, you know, be far away from it, absolve themselves from any responsibility and kind of sweep it under the carpet. It's almost like the survival instinct. They want to remain in a bubble of safety and be as far away from something ugly and brutal like rape. so, yeah, I think it comes from that fear and just wanting to blame and shame and, um, yeah, blame someone else. And But is the um,
2: implication, therefore, that this world that younger boys are living in, I say younger boys because I just still can't get my head around the fact that this happens in school. But OK, so men are exposed, boys and men are exposed to this uh, onslaught of online porn and misogyny. And people are being platformed, although de-platformed, who are sharing some really quite um, toxic ideology. Are, is the implication that if that isn't stopped, then we are, it's going to create rapists?
1: Yeah, because you are, you know, essentially normalising Um, an abusive misogynistic culture which is about dominating, taming and suppressing women and, um, and something like porn actually normalizes and sanctions sexual violence because of how violent and extreme and hardcore the scenes are that often don't include anything close to consent where the distributions of power are very clearly set out where women are objectified and dehumanized And reduced. Um, And, you know, that kind of culture does inevitably bleed into people's behavior and people's interactions and how people interact with each other and how people have sex. Um, I speak about this in my book, and, um, you know, it has normalized violence in sex. Um, And yeah, I guess. for, for those women and, you know, anyone who's kind of come at it um, with anger and have been part of that backlash, I guess what we've been really trying to say and kind of get the message across to them is that we are all responsible for this. And we, are all, we all have a responsibility. It's not just on you. It's not just on your boy or that individual perpetrator. It's a cultural issue that we all have a part of. Um, that we all have a part and a role in and and a responsibility in and therefore we have a responsibility in making a change Mm. Um, and it's about having the empathy to actually engage in those conversations with the people who don't agree it's about finding the common ground finding those the relatability you know giving each other a chance actually having those discussions that are um, that move us that are progressive that move us forward instead of responding with anger and isolation Mm -hmm. and hostility um, and exacerbating the incredibly polarized climate that we already exist in. We want to create those bridges again and reach across and um, communicate because otherwise things will never change. Nothing will get better if we remain kind of ideologically opposed and Um, kind of yeah there's no compromises there's no kind of common um, effort and understanding and um, incentive to change things for the better in a positive way.
2: I wanted to ask you actually a little bit about Me Too and I'm going to talk about the experiences I had with friends around Me Too in that around that time when the conversation really shifted or I don't know if it shifted rather that it opened up things that people didn't say were now being said For quite a few people that I know, they uh, had to confront the fact that something had happened to them in the past, that they had buried, put to one side. And now that that conversation was happening in the open, they could not avoid the fact that they had been assaulted. And there was, I don't know whether you'd call it delayed trauma or a delayed realization, but... By that conversation being so public and being so helpful in many ways, it actually re-traumatized people. And we're talking about things that may have happened 10, 20, 30 years earlier and realizing I never actually dealt with that. And now I have to. So it does, it's great to have this conversation, but what about the stuff that it brings to the surface that can feel like it sets people back?
1: Yeah, I, that's been like really difficult and like a big challenge with the work of Everyone's Invited and how many people were having that response in like they were kind of being traumatized and reminded and triggered of things that had happened to them. Um, But I think it's really important to remember that trauma affects people in many, many different ways. And, you know, maybe if you'd buried something, you might actually be feeling the effects of that trauma anyway in your life and not actually joining the dots and realizing where it came from. So, for example, um, it can present itself in the strained relationships you have, Mm -hmm. your vulnerability issues, your inability to open up with people, your mental health, depression, anxiety um your struggle with trust and and friendships and romantic relationships and your confidence and your ego and your self-worth and your you know all of those things are impacted um and yeah I think yeah in the short term it might have been a shock and kind of triggering for many people I think but in the long term I think it really transformed and helped so many understand where their trauma originated and enabled them to kind of begin that journey of healing.
2: Mm -hmm. We can talk about men and boys being the problem. What role can women and girls have in, and I'm being very binary here listeners, um, just just for simplicity, but um, just acknowledging everybody is invited. That's the whole point of the everyone's invited. So I I appreciate I'm using quite binary language, but um, in this particular issue, what can we be teaching actually i'm going to come back to how do we accommodate all of the different the gender fluidity gender identity in everyone's invited because i've been extremely binary up to this point because in my head there's just a division of male and female but is that how i is that inaccurate how how do you view it how is everyone invited
1: yeah i mean it's so first of all just to clarify um the problem isn't just men and boys; it's like everyone in society, um, and we need to make sure that men and boys are included in this dialogue and make space for them and make them feel like they can be part of the change. Because that's the only way we're gonna really change things. Um, and I guess everyone's invited is truly means what it says: all, you know, all people of all backgrounds, all identities um have a place in this discussion and it is a platform for all
2: because i've uh, even uh speaking to trans friends who feel incredibly vulnerable just leaving the house because of the abuse they may receive and uh it was heartbreaking when one friend actually said i just don't know who it's going to come from because some days it does come from a group of lads and other days another day it might come from an older lady who hasn't seen anyone like me before who feels comfortable saying something unpleasant to me. And that that really is heartbreaking. But as you say, it is for everybody. So where do we, how do we begin to empower the people who are affected by this, whether you say victims or not? So how do you prevent this from happening to you? What, is it about establishing boundaries? Is it about being really strong when you say, I don't like this. Like, How do you do it without having what we have talked about previously, which is that thing of then turning into the aggressor?
1: Well, I, I, I believe that the owner should really be on society and on everyone um, to create safe spaces, non-judgmental safe spaces, where survivors are supported, whether that be in a school or in a university or in a business or in a company or in parliament. Um you know if you've been mistreated if something has happened to you there is somewhere and some place and someone that you can go to that is visible that is there um where you can you know seek support seek help seek help and that you know where you'll listen to where you're validated and where you're taken seriously that's really really important and also just raising awareness and educating people Um, on a public societal level, in schools as well, um, from, you know, a young age about, um, yeah, all of these issues, all of these different behaviours that can occur, and how, um, you know, the attitudes and ideas that can, that leads, it's an incremental culture that leads to the behaviour. And then in the worst case scenarios, those criminal acts. So Mm -hmm. everything is in this culture so yeah educating creating awareness building those safe spaces um continuing this conversation encouraging people like in parliament government to prioritize this area um as you do as you will with school boards and heads and teachers in charge make sure that they prioritize and care about these issues um and take safeguarding seriously
2: i was thinking when i was uh thinking about having a conversation with you about where people learn about sex. And it is usually in the playground. And I remember a family friend saying, do you want to have the conversation with your children about the birds and the bees? Because they're going to learn it from their friends. They're, They're going to figure it out. And that made me think, actually, it's not just about the mechanics of sexual intercourse that we need to be as parents and I'm thinking very much about my listeners who have kids and will want to take some action after this listening to this conversation it's not just about the, that mechanical conversation the birds and the bees this is how this works and this is what goes where is it now that there's an adjunct there's an adjacent conversation that has to happen with that about and here's what respect is and here's what consent is
1: yeah, I'm 100%. You can definitely have those conversations with young people much earlier on, like talking about the importance of respect and consent and setting boundaries and being kind to one another and looking out for others and love and, you know, being kind. It's very simple and basic. And we can begin that earlier. Um, and yeah, that can begin in primary school. You know, when your child is three, you can teach them about being kind to others. It's not rocket science. Um, And yeah.
2: Do you think that uh, people might present as being completely fine and normal Um, and fine and normal meaning they're polite, they're kind, they uh, help old ladies across the road. They hold doors open for people. But yet something shifts when things become sexual. Could that is that a, a profile?
1: Yeah, that is, I mean, it can happen and it does happen. And I think that's another thing that also is very challenging um, for survivors when something like that does happen, um, when they have experienced assault or rape and they try and tell people, they try and tell their community and seek support from their friends and they're invalidated because their friend says, oh, I know him. He's only ever been nice. He would never do that. Mm. He's such a nice guy he'd never do that um so yeah i think we need to remember that all of us we are all incredibly complex we are riddled by our traumas and our positive experiences and we are ultimately very capable of wonderful lovely good things but also harm we're capable of harming others and hurting others and and being perpetrators we are victims the perpetrators and the bystanders and we can move between these roles Mm. and it's about understanding human beings as very complex um you know we are very um we've been socialized and indoctrinated by our environments our experiences by the kind of media we're exposed to by the porn people watch you know it's very very um yeah it's deeply kind of embedded within us so um we can you know be these different roles um and it's about not reducing people to a one-dimensional existence you know when people reduce you know say that rapist you know it's a it's a an evil dark stranger in an alleyway you're kind of you're making it you know that's perpetuating a really harmful myth that makes it seem like it's a really rare thing that happens once in a blue moon by like a really evil man Um, but actually it happens much more common and the reality is um, nearly all rapes are committed by someone known to the victim. That is a friend, a co-worker, a family member, a husband, um, a boyfriend, a partner. You know, it is more than often someone that it, it. I think it's about two and two and three or more. Sorry, I shouldn't really get that stat. But it is um, um very you know overwhelmingly much more common for for most rapes do occur by someone known to the victim
2: But when you say that i can't help but just feel like well why the hell would i ever go out and speak to people because it because it it, it can it's that culture of fear isn't it just kind of like well i'll stop doing things just in case and I read a brilliant book. In fact, when I uh, studied for my postgrad, my brother gave me this book by, I don't know if you've read it, but I highly recommend it. It's called The, the Gift of Fear by Gavin de Becker. It's an absolutely incredible book. And it really, it, it tells you, broadly speaking, to listen to your intuition and to uh, really pay attention to what your gut is telling you to get yourself out of terrible situations but what that book did is it meant that when i lived in brighton which is one of the one of the uk's most colourful vibrant incredible cities i didn't go out that much because i was well i was i was trying to protect myself so i didn't actually engage in living and that is one of the things that can happen isn't it it's like you think about all of the, the people who text text when you get home carry keys through your fingers Like you start to you start to limit your life because of a potential threat
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that is a really universal experience that all women have. Like, it's like that implicit fear of violence that we, the background music. Mm. Um, There's always that sense of like, you know, you have to be vigilant all times. You have to be aware, awake, Um, and we shouldn't have to live like that. It's really sad. Like as you say, it is limiting. It's like, it's like we're not able to truly live our full, free lives. And I talk about this in my book and um, Rebecca Solnit, who I quote, um, she talks about kind of the impact of public sexual harassment in a really fascinating way. And she talks about how um, public sexual harassment, the fear of violence when you're outside, basically um, creates these, like it forces us back into the homes. Mm. So rely on the material barriers of our homes. And then it also forces us to rely on men to, to feel safe when we go outside. So again, like it is so disempowering. Um, and, you know, I, you know, it is so sad to me, like in, in, in the future of my ideal world, like I want us to be able to like go outside without fear and be able to love and live and just be free and, um, live our life to our full. And the fact that we have to go outside and live with that kind of implicit fear of violence is hugely, um that hugely informs our life experience and the way the way we behave the decisions that we make the chances that we take the risks that we go for um the places we go it is hugely informative of um of our lives and that is the reality that sometimes um maybe men and boys haven't understood and that i feel like they're only just beginning to get their head around you know get the head around that that kind of our life experience is very different to
2: theirs mm. I uh, used to live with a friend of mine who is a six foot tall bloke and I remember one day we were having a conversation about this this was about 15 years ago and he said something to me that was really interesting and it's really stayed with me because he said like we're animals and I'm stronger than you and if I wanted to I know I could overpower you and on some level you know that you would be overpowered by me like we're just animals and this is the reality of it but we live in a society where we have manners and we don't overpower people when we have a sexual urge we just we don't but he said but every man knows that he can and I just remember thinking wow that's that's a lot because that's a biology I can't understand I don't I I, I simply cannot understand what it must be like to know that you can overpower somebody because you'd have to be very, very small for me to be able to.
1: Physically stronger.
2: Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that that is not somebody who I would ever anticipate to hear anything terrible about, but, he's, but what he was pointing out is men on the whole know this. And yeah, that definitely coloured my view of a few things.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important to be encouraging men and boys to kind of be aware of that. And therefore, you know, for them, like take that responsibility and do things to, you know, be being conscious and doing things, um, you know, looking out for others and making sure other people feel safe. I I remember when um, Sarah Everard passed and there was that conversation about the way people what men can do um and I remember reading something about how um if you're crossing the street as a man oh sorry if you're walking down the street and there's a girl in front of you and say and like cross the street so then they don't feel Mm -hmm. vulnerable and that actually is pretty groundbreaking because that really would make a huge difference Mm -hmm. to like you know we've all felt it walking home and you're like scared having some make a big difference i think in our lives and just being aware and conscious of things like that and and looking out for others and um you know and um standing up for people challenging your friends holding your friends accountable if they're being bit misogynistic abusive using gross derogatory language you know questioning them but doing it with empathy and understanding and not getting Mm -hmm. angry just questioning people and um, actually becoming an active bystander and men and boys taking on that responsibility and knowing that they do have a role and a really crucial important part to play in this because they do have more strength and dominance and they're also more influential amongst each other mm. There's also- sorry I was just saying that we need to be encouraging them to become role, model, role models for positive change essentially
2: yeah, there's this thing that I have a real really uncomfortable history with which is um that I have been able to laugh things off. And this is a really difficult one to articulate because I understand that it might be it might be quite controversial, but I remember a friend of mine uh discovering that a school that they had gone to when they were young there had been some pretty uh, extensive abuse going on but they had never been impacted. And someone said to them years after the fact, oh, you are just one of those that it wouldn't happen to. No one would try their luck with you, as it were. And it was like, gosh, that's quite, that's, that's interesting. That's quite worrying, isn't it? Like seeking out victims and a type of person. And I've definitely been in situations where I have been around people who I know to be predatory And you very quickly establish that you either laugh at them or you're in on the joke. And you sort of, you put yourself slightly in a protective bubble. Do you know what I'm trying to say? But that makes you an enabler. And that means that you are essentially the next victim. You are complicit. Whether it's an inappropriate comment, whether it's that joking. And a lot of the time it does. I've been in situations, and I'm not proud to say this, with blokes being blokey, where I've laughed along because it was easier than saying you lot are being pricks. Because I didn't want that. I didn't want their attention to suddenly shift.
1: I think like we've all been in that place, especially as a woman, when you have less power in that moment. And yeah, there there are very real power dynamics at play. And sometimes it feels precarious um and it is easier to just laugh along and again I think it it comes down to that sense of survival or not wanting to make a big deal or um you know again how women are socialized to like not cause a big problem and try and you know ease everyone and like um try and like move away from confrontation and stuff like that and um yeah and I think it's really important as you are kind of acknowledging and understanding how like doing you know behaving in that way and being passive or laughing it off is enabling abuse to thrive and continue if we Mm -hmm. don't challenge it but I do think it it's it's really kind of intimidating and quite scary especially as a woman in that position to be the one challenging and like while I don't doubt that it's important I would say like you know in that situation you know what if like there was a a friend there who was male who was there and he was the one to challenge. You know, I think that would be so impactful, so influential, possibly more than, than it would be of you because in my experience, I think being a girl amongst those kinds of people, you know, with a predator, you're instantly like your voice is less valued and less impactful, right? So yeah, I guess it's about acknowledging our all of our responsibilities in those situations, but also being aware of like the power dynamics at play and your safety too.
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
1: And it is really hard to challenge something like that in the moment, but you know, it is something that we need to start doing more of, but can we do it in a way, is is it, can we assess a situation and do you feel safe to do that? I think that's Mm -hmm. really important. Is it a safe situation where you feel like you can, you know, question something or, you know, call something out um, where you don't feel that it will put you at risk know Mm. it is really i think putting it actually into play in in real time in real life is much more challenging um than 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 we might initially think but it is so important and so essential um that we do question behavior like that because when we don't that's why it it exists and it thrives and it continues and those people keep behaving the way that they do because they're never challenged
2: Mm. it's true now Lots of people have written their testimonies for Everyone's Invited. As you say, there was a complete avalanche. It went absolutely wild. And I wonder how we protect those people, because I imagine there must be something quite empowering in finally putting the words to the story and telling it and and freeing it and putting it out into the world. But how how would you advise based on the experience you've got with Everyone's Invited? of being able to own the story, accept the story, but not be defined by it.
1: So I guess like, I mean, a big part of why everyone's invited is anonymous kind of gives you that. It gives you like the 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 opportunity to share your story openly, you know, get it out there and finally speak out and, you know, join this community of so many others and and being validated and affirmed that you are not alone, and I think that is so groundbreaking and transformative for so many young people in allowing them that sense of relief, that sense of catharsis, and also the possibility of healing and moving on. Um, so yeah, um, sorry, I forgot that I forgot the whole question. What was it? Um, well, really, it's
2: that thing well, of sometimes when people are validated they then kind of get stuck in that. So if you finally, if you suddenly get validated for telling a a story about your abuse, and I understand it's anonymous, but I'm guessing with the community, like say it makes you feel good to finally get it out there. You can sometimes, it can be tempting. It can be quite seductive to then become defined by that experience because it's the thing that's made you feel different, special or unique. And so what I'm curious about is how, how does one tell the story accept the story but not become defined by their trauma
1: so yeah I think that's why I was talking about anonymity because because their name isn't out there and their face isn't out there they're not defined by their own trauma and they are free to live their lives and be them and you know um go on without having that always um being there um so yeah
2: okay lovely stuff um would you mind telling listeners where they can find you and where they can find everyone's invited yes
1: um i'm gonna grab my book
2: (laughs) i have a copy here too should we wave them at the screen at the same time
1: (laughs) yes so you can find me at at somasara and everyone's invited at everyone's invited um you can find my book in a local bookshop i'll (laughs) put the link in the
2: show notes listeners and viewers Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um,
1: and yeah our website is everyonesinvited.uk if you'd like to share your story um and yeah there we are
2: fabulous well thank you so much for joining me and for explaining the work that you're doing and i think it's clearly a conversation i will admit that it's something that i need to do a bit more work on because it's not something that I feel uh suddenly seeing how the world of online pornography is affecting kids and how that's basically growing up with them that's really frightening and I definitely think that's something that I need to find out a bit more about because the potential damage is is pretty vast and so I really appreciate that you have created this and offered a a lens on on something that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. I'm sure people have said this to you before. I love and watch Euphoria, but I fully anticipate... I'm like, this is pure fantasy. No way does any of this happen. This is basically, like, really adult stuff transposed onto kids in school. And I'm guessing from the stuff that I'm beginning to pick at that maybe it's not as unusual as I have thought.
1: Well, I haven't seen Euphoria, but... um... I, I know sure I feel like very out of the culture but no <laughs> who, who have I guess that's something that they talk about how like all of that is real and does happen.
2: Wow <laughs> okay like,
1: yeah
2: that's really really worrying and so uh, if you haven't watched Euphoria and summer you're one of those i would really strongly recommend it because if you think that that's fantasy or it's somehow weird i think what you're explaining is that this is actually a bit more of the reality that kids are experiencing and so we need to be aware of that because we can't help or guide if we don't understand what's really going on so thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you
1: thank you so much for having me and yeah it's been really wonderful to chat to you this morning and i really appreciate your time thank you
2: thank you so much for listening why not become a patron of the emma gun show today for just three pounds a month you can enjoy episodes of the podcast ad free and in video that's just three pounds less than a cup of coffee for a whole month of the show your support means i can keep creating the podcast and also invest in production and creation of bonus content for you to enjoy to become a patron all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash the emma show now